didn't see you there. Would you guys like to set sail on this ocean of flavor with me? I'll be your captain. I'm Steve Harrington. And I'm Colin. And I'm Whitney. And this is Scoops Ahoy, a Stranger Things podcast. We go week by week, chapter by chapter, going through every single episode of Stranger Things, starting with season one. We have now made it to season two, episode five, called Dig Dug. It's in reference to the classic video game. And Colin is here with your summary. The fifth chapter of Stranger Things 2, titled Dig Dug, debuted on Netflix on October 27th, 2017. It was written by Jesse Nixon Lopez and directed by Andrew Stanton and has a runtime of 58 minutes and 17 seconds. It's still Friday, November 2nd, 1984, and Joyce is putting together the last pieces on the Great Vine map as Will and Mike talk in the next room. Mike thinks the whole Will being possessed by an evil shadow monster thing might actually be good because it means they can spy on the creature. Will isn't too sure. Meanwhile, Hopper is still down in the tunnels getting sprayed by monster spores and passing out as the hole seals above him. The night ends with Nancy and Jonathan checking into the Motor Motel on their way to visit Murray and sharing a nice little moment until Jonathan blows it. The next morning, Saturday, November 3rd, Will wakes up in a panic, convinced Hopper is in danger. Sure enough, he is. Over at the Hendersons, Mom is out looking for the now-digested Musy. Dustin fakes a phone call and sends her off so he can get Dart out of the house. Baloney does the trick, and he traps the creature in the cellar. After hitching a ride to Terry's house, Eleven finally meets her mama, but Terry isn't feeling too chatty. Jonathan and Nancy, meanwhile, have arrived at Murray's bunker where they begin to collectively unravel the truth. Over at the arcade, Lucas spills the beans to Max, letting her in on everything that happened back in season one. And presumably, Keith will now finally get that date with Nancy. With the help of Bob the Brain, Joyce figures out where Hopper must be in the tunnels and they leave to rescue him while over at the Wheelers, Dustin arrives looking for Mike, gets no help from Ted, and recruits Steve for a mission. As Hopper is getting buried by all kinds of monster tentacles and nasty stuff in the upside-down tunnels, Murray, Nancy, and Jonathan decide their best option is to water down the story so it's more believable. Back at Hawkins' lab, Dr. Owens and his team discover that the soil samples they took from the pumpkin patch don't react well to heat and share a hive-mind connection. Meanwhile, Eleven meets up with her mom in the void and learns about Rainbow, Breathe, 450, 3 to the right, and 4 to the left. Over at the pumpkin patch, Joyce and Bob drop down to rescue Hopper while Mike and Will watch as Hawkins' power and light trucks roll up. The agents take a flamethrower to the place, but Will feels the burning pain himself and convulses on the ground. The end of chapter five. That was a direct like throwback to Invasion of the Body Snatchers, right? Which part? Will collapsing oh. on the ground. Yes. Like opening his mouth and doing that creepy scream. Yes. Okay. I didn't think I was crazy. Shout out, shout out to Noah Schnapp. That was some pretty good. Oh my gosh. Yes. I remember watching this and how many times do we say that per episode? I remember when I watched this for the first time, but I do remember that being the specific moment where I thought, man, this kid's a really good actor. Yeah. This is like fantastic. Makes you wonder why they kept him hidden the whole first season, but I guess. I know. (laughs) They kind of had to. So. Yeah. I also liked how, I know starting at the end and working backwards, but I liked how it was the same camera rotating shot as the prior episode, how in the, in the last episode, it was Hopper in the tunnels and the camera pan, panned around. Mm-hmm. And in this one, it was Will convulsing on the ground and the camera pans around. So I thought that was a yeah. nice little, nice little throwback. Yeah. Very interesting. 
All right. Do you want to do homework before we go too much further? Yeah, before we get into it. And just so our listeners know, Colin told me to be as hard as I want to be this week on my questions. So I tried to make them a little more difficult. All right. You ready for your homework? Let's do it. You're late again. Yeah, I had to get catch up homework. Number one. What does Hopper say he's probably doing on his answering machine? Oh, he's probably out doing something important. Is that it? Something like that? You're close, so that's not right. Yes. Oh, I'm probably probably out doing something incredible. It's probably, I don't know. It's incredible. You got it oh. the second time. Ah. Something incredible. Because <laughs> it made me laugh. Okay, what's the name of the hotel that Jonathan and Nancy spend the night at? It's the Motor Motel, right? Isn't that what it's called? Yes. <laughs> it's just the stupidest name for it. I know, right? And I said hotel, but I meant motel. Yeah, it's Motor Motel. Yep. Okay. And we will talk about this later because I have some thoughts about it. But number three, who does Dustin say that they saw Muse wandering around Loch Nora? Oh, who was, who was he talking to? Mm-hmm. Uh, McCorkle, Mr. Mrs. McCorkle, Mr. McCorkle, Mr. McCorkle, Mr. McCorkle. Okay. All right. Number four, this is probably the hardest one. What game has a sign advertising for it above the change machine in the palace? Asteroids. Damn it, Colin. It is asteroids. Woohoo. I was really like, this will get him. Oh. Yeah, I remember because the game was right there and then the, the game is there and then the sign on the wall was right next to it. I'm like, I asteroids twice, but then I realized oh when, it was in, when it was on the wall. Those are good questions though. That was very good. Well, I tried like to, well, because before I was mainly going with audio with something that they right. said that right. I could ask about. And so now it makes more sense that I can pause it and look in the background if we're yeah. Yeah. getting that nitty gritty. Yeah, like count the number of TVs that murray has in his room or whatever stacked against the wall or you know something like that yeah yes indeed i tried to look for something with murray but we had talked earlier and i was like no i'm afraid he's already studied that room oh and that yeah because i did i mean i I actually kind of stopped and looked around because there was just so much going on (laughs) in that room i just a lot i wanted to see if there were any kind of weird you know kind of cool 80s things going on or whatever and i know there's the there's a king crimson album there's a there's a neon sign for a beer, I think, over the fridge. There's all the TVs. There's, and then of course the whole wall with all the 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 red the red string wall and the right. whole thing. And yikes, that was crazy. I love I love a good red string wall. Yeah, <laughs> track and stuff. <laughs> yeah, I was um, I was going to mention a shout out to the set designer Jess Royal who was. It was just crazy. I mean, all the stuff that must have gone into that empty building. I mean, it must have been an empty room when they tripped on it and they had to decorate it, you know. So you think it was, it's just Murray being paranoid, right? Like he's just super paranoid that the government is watching him and out to get him? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's it. And the Duffers have said that they kind of based him on, you know, kind of the all the president's men investigative reporter kind of thing. And then they mm-hmm. also mentioned, um, Richard Dreyfuss's character in Jaws, how he's the only one who kind of sees what's going on and he's trying to wake up the whole small town that's around him, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. So, yeah, I think that that's kind of the, you know, and he said he was working from, you know, 200 different tips and, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, because he knew exactly who they were. He had done his research. Yeah. And meanwhile, his his super sweet van was still parked outside. I like that. <laughs> the the yeah. Toyota van. Oh, yeah. Love that. Yeah, I, I do. I love Murray, and you get to know him better in season three, but he ends up being a really fun character, I think. All right, so let's go down into the tunnels with Hopper. Yeah. I actually forgot all about that. I forgot he got in as much trouble as he did down there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was he was pretty close to the end there, I think. Um, I was reading in um, Worlds Turned Upside Down how they built that whole set. And it's all, a lot of it is is real. It's in-camera effects uh, with the exception of the crawling vine, the crawl, crawling tentacles. So, I mean, they actually did build the tunnels and they oh. put the stuff on the walls. So, I mean, that's all real. I mean, they... They did the effects with, you know, kind of the stuff floating around and that kind of thing. And the effects with the tentacles mm-hmm. crawling everywhere. But everything else was real. It was a huge set that they built. Yeah, it makes me question if everything is alive in the Upside Down. Yeah. So, you know, just in future seasons, we don't know exactly what we're going to be facing with, you know, villains or monsters. And they, I mean, they have a whole world to work with. If you think about it, if everything's alive. Yeah, and I like I like how they did that whole the hive mind thing um, with Owens in the lab. Just that really quick scene when they burn the the one soil sample and all the other ones start spinning around at the same time. So now we know it's all kind of the same creature, and obviously you know in Will now too. So I mean, and then you have the whole rift, uh, you know, gateway down in the in the basement. So when they burn that, you know, things are you know, so it's all big one mm-hmm. big huge connected creature, and then you know, how that fits in with the shadow monster who is, you know, obviously not down there, but, you know, is obviously part of everything. So it's, I mean, he's literally got his, you know, tentacles on everything. It's just kind of a, Oh, I know. Kind of creepy. creepy. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So how, how much did you panic when Hopper got spit in the face with the, with the spore oh, yeah. juice? And then he's, he's hacking up black goo and. Uh, right. And I mean, honestly, at first I was like, well, you know, Will survived for how long with that thing like all the way down his throat. Right. You know, but the entire time Hopper's down there all the whole time, I'm like, he's just going to get lung cancer. That's all I can imagine. Like with all this gross stuff, like breathing in and the, whatever you want to call it, the not foliage, what's what I'm looking for? Plant life or whatever it is. You know, it's, it's all aggressive Yeah, and you know, it, they don't, you know, puff those things into his face until he's close enough it's like that they're aware of what they're doing yeah i know we've already talked about it but do you want to geek out on your indiana jones uh (laughs) side of things with this well it hasn't really happened yet that's just one half a second where he you know he sees his hat and he grabs it but i think there's another one coming up where he actually i think that like something is closing if i remember correctly almost identical to indiana jones and he sticks his hand back in and grabs his hat real quick yeah so he's got he actually grabbed the hat twice in the, in this episode and then he also yeah because you know, he's backlit right at the beginning too so he's got the hat on so it, mm-hmm. and then he then he makes the uh the torch thing like they did in last crusade you know when, when yeah. they're down in the in the vaults in venice and stuff so i mean there's just like screaming indiana jones which I think oh is, i know it's, and it's he, is, fun. he is perfect like if that movie ever gets rebooted like he i will I will burn this town to the ground if he is not the one that plays my new Indiana Jones. He's the only one I would find acceptable. So I like the, uh, I like the Jonathan and Nancy moment in the motor motel, the woman uh, sucking on the Hardys uh, when they walk in and the little music playing in the background. And, um, that was another trivia question. It was 10, 10 PM. So we I know almost they- asked what the sign said 
on her desk. Oh, I don't know if I would have gotten that. No personal calls. Yeah, I don't think I would have gotten that. But yeah, so we know it's it's a ways away. It turns out, I think we're meant to believe that it's in Illinois because. Um, yeah, I was confused on where Murray is. Yeah, well, he was a Sun Times reporter, so we're I think we're led to believe it's somewhere outside of Chicago, maybe somewhere in there. I know it, it comes up later, but as of right now, we don't we don't really know. Um, and then. You know, well, they left in the last episode, they were leaving Hawkins and it was still light outside and we're, you know, beginning in November. So it's got to be probably around four o'clock and it's pitch black dark Mm -hmm. when they land. So it's probably a good five, well, say four o'clock to 10 o'clock, you know, good, good six hours away from wherever they are. So, so I wanted to mention, we got an email from one of our listeners, Ben, um, a while ago, because back um in the episode where nancy and jonathan cut their palms open to to kind of lure the monster out and we were saying well why did they cut their palms so he emailed us and threw a theory out there that that's exactly the same injury that barb had and they knew that the monster came after barb from cutting their palms so maybe that's why they cut their palms so i thought that that was an interesting theory i don't know if it's true or not but wanted to give a little shout out for Ben and thank him for writing in with his. With his yeah. Story. We love it. We love a fan email. Absolutely. I'm curious what your Colin moment's going to be this week. I don't know if we're ready to do it, but I am curious as to, cause I was paying attention and I could not think of one moment where I was like, he's going to say, this is what usually I can figure out which one you're going to say. Yeah. No, we'll get there. We'll get there. I got a, mm-hmm. I got a decent, I got a decent Colin moment and it's interactive. You can participate too. So. Oh, so nice. Yeah. Um, so the whole bit with Nancy and Jonathan and how, you know, she waited for him and he's like, yeah, but only a month. What is she talking about? What is he talking about? Well, she, I mean, the events of the last episode last season were kind of beginning in November. Yeah. And then, we you know, see him I, at Christmas. Again, I thought it was Christmas Eve. Everybody else says it's because kind of mid-December, but regardless. And then she's sitting on the couch with Steve. So Apparently, somewhere in that time frame, between the time when Elle went poof and um, she's sitting on the couch with Steve, she waited for Jonathan. I don't know. I don't know. See, I just assumed that her and Steve got picked together the night he came and saved her. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know how he was supposed to know that she waited for him, but and then then she gets the attitude and like, turn the light out or, you know, whatever. So I want him off. Yeah. <laughs> So how about that scene with uh, Lucas and his parents and Erica in the dining room? I actually went back and looked. Two completely different actors from the African-American couple that were standing behind Lucas at the funeral. Remember at the, at the oh, funeral? Oh, yeah. yeah. Completely different actors look nothing alike. I mean, not even close. But I did like that little that little scene. Um, I also, I really liked um, how it went from the, the tentacles kind of crawling across the floor. And then it was Erica... With the maple drizzling syrup. Yeah, drizzling syrup. maple syrup. I thought that was kind of neat. And I noticed that um, Mr. Sinclair. Sinclair. Sinclair, thank you. Uh, Mr. Sinclair was reading the newspaper, the weekly, the Hawkins Post, which came out on Tuesday back in back in the first episode. That was when we talked about uh, Baby Faye and the Baboon Heart. And I like how he's like, you know, she's never wrong, son. I thought that was it. <laughs> that was a Did you? notice and i'm kind of giving away one of my superlatives early but i can't help it because we're talking about it the the chairs and the dining room table set and chairs at lucas's house no i'm pretty sure those chairs had wheels on them i remember for a brief moment in the 80s 
dining room chairs, like kitchen table chairs had wheels on them. Some did. Yeah. Some had some like, because a lot, and this is, I feel like this is still a thing from the eighties. People had carpeted, like carpet was everywhere in the eighties. Shag shag carpet, very brightly colored shag carpet. Yes. And I feel like their kitchen was very orange and brown, very, you know, everything was in the early eighties. Everything was like fall colors. It was just pea green. And yeah, but that chair, when he pushes back, I was like, it's so smooth. It has to be wheels. It's like, he's got to have wheels on that chair. So how bad do we feel for Mrs. Henderson? Who's out in her front lawn. Oh my gosh. Going for Musy. And I, and Dustin's lie. This is what I was talking about. I was going to get back to his lie is so stupid because she's going to get over there. This lady is desperate to find her cat. She's going to go over there and she's going to ask Mr. McCorkle. Where well, I'm wondering, yeah, I'm wondering, I was thinking that too. And I'm wondering if he just made up the name McCorkle and sent her over there and said, just go well, she, look, in, look in that neighborhood or something. Or, well, he acted like she knew him. And I, I just was like, that's such a dumb lie. You're going to get busted. I love and did how you, he's kind of, I, I love he's kind of stepped up as kind of the man of the house here. I mean, he's like, you know. Well, you never know what happens to, you never know where his dad is. I don't think they've ever mentioned it. No, I don't Have remember they? it. No. no. And you never no. see him with the dad. But did you notice in her front yard, it was Mondale? Yeah, Mondale Ferraro. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then everybody, in the wheelers, everybody else is Reagan Bush. Everybody yes. else is Reagan Bush time. Yeah. Yeah. Funny. yeah, I thought that was funny. That kind of played out when the election happened coming up in whatever, three, four days, I guess, when, mm-hmm. it, when it happens. And then I love the, the baseball uh, pads and the hockey pads. And he's kind of, oh my kind of tottering around and he throws out the baloney. Um, yeah, I thought that was a really good scene. Oh, that was another good 80s style home moment. His door was one of those disappearing. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. His, doors. his bedroom door with the little yeah. latch on it. It has like the little door. latch on the inside of it. Yeah. That you'd I, like push. Yeah, I thought I thought of that, too. Yeah, like that's no, the people don't have those are like really like, I don't know if it was a style thing where you could hide them. Like if that's why people liked them. Yeah, I don't know. But, it was just because it was yeah, it was a sliding door that went. Yeah, it was very eighties open uh-huh. door. So yeah, so then L L gets her a little ride with a trucker. Yes, not very safe, but and arrives at arrives at five fifteen and not five one five five one five Larrabee. Yes, um, I also like uh, I mentioned um, that Andrew Stanton directed this, and he's like a big Pixar honcho. He did Finding mm-hmm. uh, Finding Nemo, Finding Dory, Wally. And he also, he didn't work on cars, but he, he did some script work for it and, and did a voice in it. So, so I liked the Peterbilt and I don't know if that was a callback to cars or not. Oh yeah. Um, you know, I'm not a Mac, I'm a Peterbilt. Um, <laughs> so I don't, I don't know if that was it. So yeah, the last time we saw Elle in the last episode, that was when she was crying on the floor um, after, you know, kind of meeting her mom in the void. So somewhere between then and now she went out apparently hitchhiking, found a truck and, and wound up in, in that 515 Larrabee in whatever town we're in. So yeah. Do we know, do we know where Terry Ives lives? No, but I mean, I, you know, I was wondering too, back in, in the season one episode when Joyce and Hopper go, when they stop at the phone booth on the way and then they go out, I don't think it's very far away, maybe like an hour away or something. I don't think. Yeah. I didn't think it was super far, but I also didn't think it was in Hawkins. Yeah, no, no, it's it's not in Hawkins. I know that. I know it's at least a, a, at least a little bit of a distance away. So and I forgot how much of the backstory we actually find out with Terry. Yeah. This. So you see what happened, which 
I, I mean, obviously this is just me wondering, but I'm like, how did they get away with this? They, you know, well, I think 450 volts to your brain for a good five, six seconds will. No, I know. I'm just saying like when she broke in, they just captured her and yeah, I guess and... they can't call the cops because then they're like, oh, by the way, we're abusing all these children and testing yeah. them. Yeah, but... no, I think they, they kind of wiped her brain clean immediately. And that was uh, really sad. Yeah, I love that scene, though. I thought where it does it, it, it's just how that, like... well how well done it was. Uh, yeah. You know, Kind of with the Vaseline lens and the, and it's the that really same, super I, quick edits. and It's that same dream lens where only one thing is in focus and everything else is out of focus and it like all the edges are blurry. Yeah. And it would do that on everything. It, would, it was basically just show, walking you through her, I don't want to say chant, but the words that she repeats over and over, you see where she got it all. Right. Yeah. No, I thought that was, I thought that was supremely well done. It's a three minute scene. I went back and kind of looked at it from the minute where Eleven and, and Terry are in the void until they flash back um, or starting when it flashes back all the way to the end. It's only about three minutes, but I mean, there must've been 150 edits in that thing. It was crazy. I thought that when Hopper and Joyce talked to what's Terry's sister's name. I always, Becky, Becky. Mm-hmm. Becky. I thought she said that she lost the baby, that Terry lost the baby at like five or six months. So uh, I was shocked when she, which maybe, I mean, surely it wasn't that early, but maybe it was earlier than a full-term pregnancy because normally, you know, a woman wouldn't bleed. I mean, she had blood all over her. Oh, you mean that she was five or six months pregnant, not that Jane was five or six months old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Okay. No, oh, that okay. She was, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, that she was five or six months pregnant. I, I yeah. need to go back and watch because I remember thinking. Well, we what? know it's a, we know it's a C-section. Obviously, we see that. So yeah, but I thought that Becky had said her baby had died. Like she never had the baby. I, I can't remember how she worded it. I need to go back and look. But I remember being I was shocked this time when I watched it because I was like, why would she? Is it, it made me wonder if the sister was in on it? But obviously, she's not. I well, I totally thought that because, or they convinced her or something because she. So Becky, she, I don't know. If, I don't know if she's in on it per se, but but she's certainly helping them cover up or helping sell their story or. or so something. you think yeah. so too, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Because yeah, I mean, I, I think that's exactly why they did it that way. Because we hear the baby cry, and then we see Becky say, "I mean, she's clearly lying. Well, I mean, it's obvious." But unless she wasn't in the room with her when she had the baby, that you know, and back then you didn't. I don't think you really had like a ton of people in there, so maybe she didn't. Maybe Becky yeah. didn't see it, but I got that be. feeling too. I yeah. did. I got that feeling because yeah. it was weird how she said, hold on, I'm going to call. Uh, I'm, they're on their way. But right. then it was Dr. Brenner. So how would he have known? I mean, I guess maybe they were just keeping tabs on her. Yeah, and how creepy was that with him pulling? Oh, his he just like, he was and just upside like, down. And he was just to let her know too. There was yeah. no other reason for him to pull that mask off. It was just so to let her know, like, I've got your baby. Yeah. Yeah. That was really creepy. Yeah. So yeah, he plays All a right. good bad guy. Let's go, let's go happier times and go to the arcade with Lucas and Max. Um, oh, yeah. I, lo- I love that scene. And I love how Max kind of, I mean, she kind it's a little bit of meta humor when she says, I felt that the story was a little derivative in parts. I just wish it, and I wish it had a little more originality. I mean, she's basically, that's her response to all of season one, which is what all the critics were, you know, some critics were saying, oh. it was a little derivative or whatever. So she's oh, basically see, I didn't saying, know that. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, they're kind of poking fun of themselves saying, you know, with having Max saying all of that stuff oh. that you just explained to me, 
felt it was a little derivative. We should have a little more originality. So <laughs> they're kind of funny. firing back at the critics, which I thought that was good. Yeah. I also loved Billy. Uh, didn't get a lot to do in this episode, but I love his line. Hey, watch the attitude shit bird. I just, he I always love, calls her that. I love it. I hate it. I just love I hate it, it because it's always so funny with Billy because like in the last episode, he's like, there are certain people you shouldn't hang out with like me and yeah. hey, watch the attitude shit bird. Like I, me. I have the attitude. Yeah. Well, I'm like, so where does he get off telling her she can't? He's not like her parent. I don't know. Billy's the worst. It was, it was really funny. Um, I did want to mention in when they go into the office and Lucas is telling Max the story in the background is the Space Knife arcade game. And I had completely forgotten about this, but that's not a real arcade game. What that is, is the set dresser for the show is a guy named Craig Johnson. And he has a kind of throwback 80s synth band called Space Knife. So because they let him. Because he's the set dresser all throughout the show, there's been like little, there's been like three or four little places where space knife has come up. So look back and and I'm going to post a link to this on our socials because the AV club did a huge article on it. And it's really, really well done in the episode way back in season one, when Jonathan goes to Lonnie's house and he breaks in and Lonnie's girlfriend is there. He's like, Hey, what are you doing? And he goes, Mm -hmm. and Okay playing on the tv in the living room in lonnie's house is the music video for one of space knife's songs oh okay and and it just keeps popping up over and over again so i'll, I'll put the link on our socials because that the whole space life space knife saga is really kind of cool and av club did a great article on it so just something to kind of tuck away and 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 look for. i love when shows do that though yeah it was, it was really neat because i remember looking on like space knife how have i never heard of that Video game. game. I thought yeah. I knew. I thought I knew every game out there. I'm like, okay, I'll look it up. Sure, it's Space Knife, and it's like Maybe 80 Cent Band by <laughs> Craig Johnson. I'm like, oh, okay, but it's really cool. The video is available online too. I can I can post a picture. Oh, that's of that too, cool. Or post post a link to that too. So let's see where we can go next. Oh, when uh, when Dustin comes over to Mike's house, and uh, it's my favorite part. It's my favorite scene in this whole episode. Karen is day drinking again. Again, Again, last week we talked about it and she's in, and last week I didn't notice it. I did this week. And apparently she's been on the phone for two hours. Oh my gosh. But that brought me back because do you remember how annoying it would be if you were trying to call your friend and one of their parents or somebody was on the phone because call waiting didn't exist. Oh, absolutely. But I, I, when I, I don't remember when, and I'm sure my mom is going to let me know. We got two, (laughs) we got two lines in the house. So we had a house line. And then we had a private line because my dad was a salesman. So he, he needed the phone in the afternoon. So we couldn't be calling our friends when he was on the phone. And gotcha. so, but yeah, oh, that, yeah, I could certainly see where that would be horrifically annoying. Yeah. Like, I mean, even in, I can't, I mean, I, when we got call waiting, I think I was in high school, yeah. I think. Yeah. maybe middle school. But I remember in high school, there was this one girl and it was so cool because her parents got her and her sisters, her own phone line. Yeah. Like she had her own phone number. And I thought that was the coolest thing I'd ever heard of in my life. Yeah, I was like, cool. what? Yeah. Like, that's insane. You just have your own phone number and you live at the same house as your parents and it works. How does yeah. this work? But yep. Just like me. Yeah. yeah. 
what else? Oh, I did want to talk about kind of the Steve and Dustin bit, and we'll get that. We'll get a little bit more of that as it as it goes on. But the Duffer Brothers were um, saying, I think it was in Beyond Stranger Things on Netflix, how this was an interaction that was never planned. It just kind of kind of evolved. Uh, oh, really? To have, to have Steve and Dustin kind of get together because they were both kind of the you know the Lonely Hearts Club because Dustin was interested in Max, but it looks like Lucas is kind of moving mm-hmm. in on that, and then. Steve obviously had broken up with Nancy, so they kind of got the Lonely Hearts Club connection going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they also said this was uh, the best example that they'd ever come across of the characters being informed by the actors. So the actors kind of helped these characters evolve and not the other way around. It wasn't the Duffer brothers saying, hey, let's script it this way. They saw the kind of um, actors that Joe and Gaten are, and they kind of worked it around them. So they kind of did it backwards. Um, oh, but because they were such great actors and the characters had become so great and well loved by that point, it made sense for them to kind of put them together and kind of let the two of them explore. And one of my favorite scenes in the entire series is coming up in the next next episode. So we will we will get to that. But um, I just love that the whole Steve and Dustin. Um, well, I like that he's I mean, how much you're better at keeping track of the dates. But how, how long has it been since he and Nancy got in the fight? They broke up on Wednesday, Halloween, and we are now on kind of Saturday afternoon. So it's only been what three days? Thursday, Friday, Saturday, three days. Okay, and and then their their little oh the little talk. day the day after at school that was on yeah. Thursday yeah so that was on Thursday yeah and then Friday is when so is that when did Jonathan and Nancy leave? Because remember in the last episode. Jonathan and Nancy left uh, Friday night, Friday afternoon, Friday, and they got in Friday night to the hotel, and then they woke up Saturday morning. Okay. And went to Murray's. Because I was thinking, how did Tommy know that they were gone then? So I think that was when they had skipped to go to the park. Okay, so not the trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Correct, yeah. They, They had gone to the park, so... So he knew that they were both together, gotcha. had, had gone to the park. So, yeah. Um, speaking of Murray, I love how he uh, poured himself the vodka. Did you catch the label on the vodka bottle? Yes, I did. It's Slotichnaya instead of Stolichnaya. Oh, no, I didn't. Yeah. I thought it was Stolichnaya. Look at it again. It's spelled on it's S L O T. Because they couldn't get the brand. They couldn't Apparently, get the I don't approval. Know. But yeah, That's you funny. look at it, it looks like Stolichnaya, but it's yeah. very, very clearly S-L-O-T, Slotichnaya, which I thought. Oh, that's hysterical. Because I really thought, I was like, oh, yeah, because of course he has like Russian vodka. Yeah. But. <laughs> okay, I think the only thing we really haven't talked about yet is Bob showing up, Bob the Brain with with the games and then and the whole map thing and Lover's Lake and all that stuff. So. I'd love that, man. Um, and then the, uh, the little kind of either you're on the Goonies side or you're not, it's either a groaner of a line when he says X marks the spot for pirate treasure, or you think it's adorable. I fall on the adorable. I fall on the adorable. Yeah. Anything with a a little throwback to Goonies. Yeah. I love it. So I love Sean Astin and anything he does though. Yeah. It was funny because 50 first dates was on um, a couple nights ago and I watched it. He was like, you know, the, the you know muscle head brother mm-hmm. dude so it was, it when was he's like fun. a very like prominent lisp in that movie yeah yeah he's like a good comedic actor yeah he really is good so 
All right, anything else to mention before we do our crazy little things? No, I don't think so. I mean, if we talk about Dart and did he seem much smaller to you when he came out? I thought he seemed smaller than he did. Yeah, well, this is only the next day. So, I mean, I think I, I expected him to be about the size of a refrigerator by about now, but. Yeah, he's uh, like the size of a cat. Yeah, he's, he's, I think he's, I think he's pretty much the same size as, as he was gotcha. last night. So. Okay, so speaking of uh, little things, I got, I just wanted to, there were a couple, couple little things. Wait, did, did you see something? Yeah. What, what, did, what did you see? I already mentioned, did I already mention the tendrils? And I did, they mentioned the tendrils yeah. and the, becoming and the, the syrup. syrup. I also loved how Joyce's coat is covered with little pieces of scotch tape. Did you catch that? She's got like little pieces of scotch tape. So it's like, I do ripped, not. Yeah, she ripped a bunch off and stuck them to her coat so she can hang up the stuff on the walls. Like when you're decorating. If there is someone. <laughs> If there is someone that I could give a new wardrobe to, it would be Joyce. Like, that's not really wardrobe. That's just, that's functionality. But it's just her. Like, she's just a mess. Like, she's just a mess all the time. The lady can't keep track of her keys. She's always got clothes on that are like six sizes too big for her. I just, and she's adorable. Like, she's so cute. And, you know, at least she has a better haircut this season. although i will say season one's haircut was very authentic to the time period that's true i did think about you because um she's been lately wearing one of those kind of 70s smock things that you hated when she was wearing it at christmas christmas dinner the previous season i I thought about you i'm like oh Whitney, she loves a smock loves a smock i also love my last little thing was um at the end when bob and joyce rescue hopper and they get him undone and Jim turns and goes, oh, hey, Bob. Bob goes, hey, Jim. Hey, Jim. Jim." (laughs) It was like so like, like just like seeing each other on the street. Yeah. Like, okay. Hey, Jim. And did you feel kind of awkward for Bob though, right there? That was a little awkward. Yeah. Because she was like holding his face and everything. It was like, oh my God, are you okay? Are you okay? And Bob's just standing there like. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, Bob. Hey, Jim. Yeah. Hey, Jim. (laughs) All right. So that'll do it for little things. Are we, are we to your Colin moment yet? I'm so excited about it. Okay, yeah, let's do a call-in moment. And we should mention the call-in moment music, which you are now hearing. Was in this episode. How about that, huh? I know. When Lucas goes trucking off to find uh Yep, I Max. knew it as soon as I heard it. So my call-in moment this week um, was kind of based on Bob showing up with his little packet of brain teasers. And I noticed he had two versions, or two identical versions of regular old high Q, high Q. Uh, and then he had double high Q, which is kind of the two person version. And then he had high Q Pythagoras, which is the one with the shapes. So that just got me thinking about board games. So what were your big board games when you were growing up? I was trying to think of like the, the early eighties board games that I was playing. And I played when I was a kid, we did Candyland all the time and uncle Wiggly. Um, I loved uncle Wiggly. That was, uh, that was never heard of did. uncle Wiggly. I've never heard of High Q. Oh, High Q is is like the Cracker Barrel Jump in the Pegs game. Oh yes, very similar. I do know that game. Yeah, so it's very similar. It's not a triangle. It's it's a kind of a like a red cross mm-hmm. kind of symbol. So on the pegs, and you have to just yeah. jump the pegs. So that's what it is. And then the double is a two person version. And the Pythagoras, you have different like shapes that you have to kind uh-huh. of move around. So, and then we played Sorry a lot, uh, Operation. 
Um, I did not like Operation. I did not like Perfection. Have you ever played Perfection? Yes. That's oh. the other one I was just, it is the most oh. nerve wracking game. I hate that game. Ever play in it. I, I cannot play it. Like yeah. I cannot, I just refuse. Like why would anybody think this was, if you're trying to calm kids down and yeah. like get them to do something yeah. that's like stay out of your hair. No, it, I, perfection I just, is the game that you don't give them. I don't, I don't think I could even do it today. No, I could not. It is nerve wracking. Yeah. It starts shaking yeah. faster and yeah. Oh, it like um, gives me chills thinking about it. And then I looked up, I just, I just went back and looked up early eighties, you know, kind of board games. And then there was, um, <laughs> it's gonna, this is me in a nutshell. So the the game Rummy Cube, kind of where you play. We'll still play it. We yeah. play it all the time at Family Functions. For my entire life, and I still call it that, I always thought it was Rummy Cub. That is how my in-laws say it. Yeah. And I tell them they're wrong. Yeah. I they're never, like, it's Rummy Cub. I'm like, I, no. I think Rummy it was Cube. like, it's like one of those memes. Like it was today when I found out. I think it was like five years ago when I found but, out that it was Rummy Cube. My mother-in-law and father-in-law still call it that. Yeah. And I'm like, no, that's not the name of it. So now it's just a running joke. And like, then the, no, the last game, and I'm surprised, actually, we're kind of surprised that this hasn't come up before, was Dark Tower, um, which I absolutely loved when I was a kid. It was, um, do you know what it is? No. Okay. So it's a, it's a, it's a board game. And then in the middle of the board, it's a circular board in the middle of the board, was like the uh it's the shape of the the close encounters mountain kind of the devil's the tower mashed potatoes yeah um but it's brown and it's electronic and it's kind of you're you're you have like a, a an army of brigands and warriors and you kind of fight each other and you punch into the it's t- totally a thing you got to look it up it's great and you can actually kind of play it, it you can play it kind of online like a like a, a um kind of like an online version it was right along the lines of Dungeons and Dragons and that kind of thing, but it was electronic and the thing spun around it, and it lit up. And it sounds like fire. Did you ever play Fireball Island? No, we played that. That might have been mid 80s, yeah. but there it lit up and there were it was kind of I want to say it took batteries. It was almost like mousetrap and you would like the okay. boulders would roll down. You were trying to get to the top before this volcano or something blew. Okay. I can't yeah. really remember. Yeah. So there was that. I played that, and I played Mall Madness. Yes, I remember that one. Is that the name of it? And they like yeah. get the battery, and they'll be like, "There's a sale at somebody." Like it'd be like the shoe store, and you right, had to right. go yeah. and like get your you had to yeah. get your like uh, person down there, and then you had all these cards and yeah. Oh, I loved it. Yeah. Loved we also played Clue Madness. a lot too. That was the last. We one. played Clue a lot. We yeah. played Candyland, Shoots and Ladders. I didn't like Perfection or Operation because they were too nerve wracking. Yeah. But yeah, look up Dark Tower, and I'll I'll post a link to something. I'll, I'll I don't know if I can find like the actual gameplay or like a commercial for it or something. But remember Orson Welles? Right I think Orson Welles did the commercials for it. I think, but oh. we played that all the time. Well, if you still got it, you could sell it on eBay for four hundred and fifty dollars. Good gravy. Yeah, no, it's a nineteen eighty one electronic board game by Milton Bradley Company for one to four years. The object of the game is to amass an army, collect three keys to the tower, and defeat the evil within. The game came out during the height of the role-playing game craze in the early 80s. Yeah. I'm surprised it hasn't kind of... Kind of resurgence? No, no. In Stranger Things, I can't believe that they haven't played it or it hasn't come up or something. It was just... It was such a thing. Um, at least for me, anyway. Okay. Is, well, anyway, so that's, yeah. that's, that's my Colin moment. Board games in the 80s. Man, I could talk for hours on it. 
but we were we were a big my brother was a huge video game person so we mm-hmm. always had like i mean he had the atari like right when it first came out we had nintendo right when it first came out like we fought so much over super nintendo that my mom got us each one for christmas like we just <laughs> like <laughs> we loved us some some video games yeah okay let's do a quick round of where in the world is oh i think i'm ready there were so many <laughs> i'm just dang gonna... it i only thought of one and i was like i'm gonna look it up i bet that's gonna be on my question well i mean bob was in here there's danford creek and tippecanoe and oh lake okay Jordan and lover's lake and eno river and all those things so so okay well i'll explain once so the the two i was going to quiz you on and they're both they're both the same are Lake Jordan and Eno River. Are they real? If they are real, where are they? And if they're not real, let me know. Real. Yes. And in Durham, North Carolina. And it was actually called Jordan Lake. Yes, not Lake Jordan. Yes. Yes. You got them right. Yeah, that was when that came up. I was very curious and I actually looked it up. And there's, did you look it up? There's some history with it. Jordan Lake? Yes. No, I did not look it up. Unless, I mean, other than on a map. Well, there's two Jordan Lakes. So there's a Jordan Lake in Alabama and there's a Jordan Lake in North Carolina. And forgive me for not remembering which one, but one of them has a town, you know, when they flooded towns back mm-hmm. in the day, one of those flo- was a flooded town. So there's a town underneath. Oh, all right. So good job on you. Look at that. Yay! All right. Let's, uh, let's do music real quick. There's a ton of music. Yes. I'm just going to go through a couple and there's a lot of stuff playing in the background and on car radios and stuff, but the song um, that was playing when L gets dropped off at 515 Larrabee is Green Green Grass of Home by Bobby Bear. It's good to touch the green green grass of It uh, came out in 1966 and immediately after that, Tom Jones did his version, which became very popular and went to number 11 on the charts, but uh, the Bobby Bear version, which we here did not. So Green Green Grass of Home. Uh, the second song is Metal Sport by Hitman. And this is the song that uh, is playing in Billy's car when he drops uh, Max off at the um, arcade. Uh, this came out on their 1985. It was an unreleased kind of demo album they did. and But then they released it in full in 1988 and then it was re-released in um 2017 never really went anywhere it's kind of one of those underground metal uh metal things so next song is strength in numbers by channel three and this is playing on billy's car when he picks max up from the arcade and this one was kind of weird because this is like straight up punk I mean, and he yes. strikes me as much more of a hair metal hair band dude yep. than a punk. He loves. Came out in 1982. So that, that fits. Uh, and then the last one um, that I wanted to mention was No More by Billie Holiday. And this was playing, uh, Murray put this on the record player when he and Nancy and Jonathan were talking, came out in way back in 1944. So that tracks too. So those are your four highlights of the music scene in this week's episode. Which brings us to... Ooh. Super, they were kind of fun this week, I thought. 
Yeah, there was there was quite a bit to choose from in the best line, not so much in the most spirited. I best line was mine when Dustin says that to Mr. Wheeler when he's like, son of a bitch, you know, you're really no help at all. You know that? Hey, language. Yeah, yeah, language, Dustin. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All uh, right, Mr. Wheeler. Mine was when uh Dustin traps Dart in the in the cellar. I'm sorry. You ate my cat. I I can't get a good feel on Dustin though. Is he is he upset with was he scared of Dart at this point, or is he just like I've got a Oh, he's totally scared of I mean you see him in the shed. Yeah. He's totally scared of Dart. But he still point. kind of like has a like soft spot for him. Yeah, a little bit. So uh, I also did like, and I mentioned the pirate treasure line that Bob throws out. I thought that that's was a good one. I liked the one about, well, you'd already talked about it, but Lucas's dad. Yeah. Your mother's never wrong, son. <laughs> She's never wrong, son. Okay. Most spirited. Uh, Lucas's kitchen dining room table and the chairs. <laughs> you put wheels on kitchen table chairs. You're it's forever going to be my most eighties moment. That, yeah. Uh, I kind of went to kind of contemporary topical news items at the time. One was Three Mile Island, which is really interesting because that happened in, um, I think it was March of 79, kind of a partial nuclear meltdown at Three Mile Island. But just like pretty much exactly seven years later was Chernobyl. And I mean, Three Mile Island had its day in the sun, if you will, for seven years. And then nobody ever thought of Three Mile Island again, because anytime you talked about a nuclear accident from April of 1986 on, it was Chernobyl. Well, here they talk about through in my hometown, they talk about Three Mile Island a lot because there were some men from here that went and helped clean up Three Mile Island. Ah. And so it yeah. was like, I grew up knowing about it. Uh, and then the other one was Margaret Thatcher, which Karen was talking about um, on the phone in her two hour day drinking session. You know, we've seen this lawn signs for Reagan and for Mondale and that kind of stuff. But it, it was just a nice little callback to kind of throw something else from the news in. Mm-hmm. Um, and Margaret Thatcher at that time in October of 84. So like less than a month before, you know, this episode, you know, takes place uh, was when um, there was the bombing of the uh, hotel that she was in kind of her assassination attempt. So I could never hear her name without thinking of Austin Powers. Yeah. <laughs> Margaret Thatcher naked on a cold day. <laughs> All right. Most stranger thing. I went with the, uh, the 450 rainbow montage scene, which I just thought was so excellent. That's what you picked for most That's stranger. Picked, that was, that was pretty stranger. Oh my gosh. Will's seizure at the end. Oh, come on. What? <laughs> that is like the he, his eyes roll back in his head and it is the creepiest thing. And the sound that comes out of his mouth, it is like so inhuman. And it's an obvious callback to Donald Sutherland and invasion of the body snatchers. Yeah. We discussed this, but yeah. it is so, so creepy. It is creepy. That is kind of funny that you thought I'd pick that. And I thought you'd pick mine. <laughs> oh yeah. I thought for sure you picked that. Yeah. No, that, that whole scene with the whole montage, I just thought was just so intense. And so like, I mean, it was well done, done, but I, I didn't think it was scary. I don't think it was scary. It was the stranger thing. It's not scariest thing. It's like, what's the most like kind of freaky thing that's going on. And that was, that was kind of a freaky. Yeah. There's no way that tops will seizure. I'm sorry, <laughs> but you're wrong. <laughs> okay. All right. MVP of the episode. Oh man. I've given it to Bob newbie. I can't not. Yeah. He, 
he's the one that finds Hopper. He's the one that puts it all together and bless his heart. He is, he doesn't know a single thing going in and he doesn't ask, I mean, he asks questions, but he doesn't insist on knowing the answers. Yep. He just goes along and helps Joyce because he loves her. Yep. Oh, and, and I didn't, to- I didn't mention that. That is, that's a good call actually. And I didn't mention that his line when they dropped down in and he, and he said, wait a second, are we in Mel's map? Uh, Will's map. That was, that was ad-libbed. He, that wasn't even in the script. He kind of came up with that. Oh, line moment. yeah. When we they, kept when, saying it when they go down into the tunnels and he's like, wait, are we in Will's map? That was, that was ad-libbed. So um, every I, time, or you think just the first time? Well, the first time. And then I think they kind of just went with it, but um, okay. so I went a little bit kind of off the grid here and I actually picked Andrew Stanton as the MVP, the, the director of this, which I think, you know, just kind of like when Sean Levy directs his episodes, it's just a little something extra. And I'm, um, I've already talked ad nauseum about the 450 montage, but I just think it was a, just a really well-directed episode. It was really tight. The pacing was really good. There's a lot that happens. Um, and it was shot interestingly, but not in a way when you're going, ooh, look at the crazy camera angles. I think it was just really, really solidly done. And I did look up uh, just really quickly before we wrap up how he actually came to direct these because he's like Pixar animation Pixar. guy and now mm-hmm. he's directing Stranger Things. So um, he had said, and this is an interview with Sci-Fi Magazine, he said he had just finished Finding Dory, so the sequel to Finding Nemo, uh, and wanted to get back into live action. He had directed John Carter for Disney, the live action thing, and he thought TV would be good because it's a short schedule and wouldn't be a huge commitment, and it was exactly when Stranger Things came out. So he was talking with his entertainment attorney about shows that he could have meetings with about directing, and then he kind of jokingly said, yeah, and hit up the dudes from Stranger Things because I'm watching that and I love it. Uh, and it turns out his lawyer also represented Sean Levy, uh, was Sean Levy's lawyer. So they kind of knew each other. So it's kind of a who you know kind of thing. Uh, so then Sean absolutely said, yeah, come on down. We'll put you on board. But Stanton says that they did warn me that they were pretty sure that what would fall into my lap for these episodes would be freaking big. And turns out, obviously, it was because it was all the tunnel scenes and then the whole montage thing and everything else that was going on. And he said, I get the risk. And he suggested uh, shadowing the production for a little while uh, before he had to direct. So uh, they were shooting episodes one and two when he came on board. Sean was prepping episodes three and four, and he just shadowed them so he could get ready and do episodes five and six. So that's how Andrew Stanton came to direct two episodes of Stranger Things this week. And he also does next week's episode too. So. Yeah. And I was reading how he got the idea on how to like, like one of the, like, and it wasn't got the idea, but I was reading about how he does it for everything he directs. Like he went back and watched episodes without the sound on. Yeah. Which is clever. I mean, that's good. It yeah. is. Yeah. And I just, so he's just like looking at how the, the directors have got the actors to do what they're doing yeah. without and, and kind of the visuals use. and the camera shots and mm-hmm. stuff. So you're not, you know, you're not coming in and you're directing everything like David Lynch when everybody else was directing like Michael Bay, you know, so you can kind right. of, kind of fit in a little bit better so and he storyboards a lot of stuff too which i think you know obviously you can see kind of in this episode so all right so i think um i think that does it does it for this week so i just want to let everybody know if you have any questions comments want to submit your own superlatives you can always email us at scoopsahoypod at gmail.com if you really like the episode we would love it if you left us a review on apple itunes apple Podcasts. They kind of rule all. It will help us get in front of other potential listeners. So if you want to find us on the socials, you can do that too. We're at Scoops Holy Pod. And next week we'll be discussing season two, chapter six, The Spy. So I want to thank everybody for listening. 
And I hope you tune in next time. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Stranger Things audio clips and official score are the property of Netflix. Incidental music by Blue Mount Score from Bixabay.